Welcome back. Don't give up the ship podcast episode four. Today we're going to be talking about junior level leadership. Uh, this is basically the primary motivation and mission of this entire thing uh, is to address the lack of formal leadership training for junior level leaders uh, out there in the fleet, especially or just development of junior sailors in general. Uh, and what we want to address is or provide a resource for really uh, is the development professionally and leadership wise of junior level uh, sailors and leaders. So what we're going to talk about today is how challenging junior level leadership is. Sometimes the only thing separating you from having peers instead of subordinates is a job title. All right. Uh, We call it positional authority and it can get awkward. Uh, It can be pretty strange to be in a position where one day your peers and and your friends with these, uh, these folks on the ship and you could be, I, I've had former students that are, are six, eight months removed from A school and all of a sudden they're a galley watch captain. They're in charge of a watch, set, watch section of what was their peers five minutes ago. And now their whole dynamic changes with essentially zero preparation unless they have an extremely engaged leader, uh, which while we would all like to be that leader, sometimes we would need to clone ourselves about seven times in, in, in order to be available and be able to be engaged with every single sailor that needs us at all times. So the key there is multiplying yourself by developing those mid-level leaders so they can then develop the junior level leaders. But what we end up seeing is that that that, that doesn't always happen. So we're providing this resource to uh, help address that void there where when you're thrown into this position and you're, you're unprepared and a lot of times you don't have legitimate authority with rank, it's, it's literally just positional authority where you're in charge of something like a watch section and you're expected to know how to deal with all the leadership challenges that come along with that. So that's what we're going to be addressing today. Um, but like always, or since the last episode anyway, we're going to get into a history segment and, and I'm pretty excited about this one today. This is something that uh, I bring up a lot with my students. They get into a, a mode sometimes where they think that, uh, that the Navy, it, it's, it hasn't quite hit them how real it is yet. Uh, and especially with a, my frame of reference, again, being a cook. Uh, a lot of times they have get it drilled into them. Oh, well, you're just a cook, so you're not going to do anything crazy. It's not for real. You know, you're just going to be cooking on the ship. It's no big deal. Uh, and, and what, you know, is often forgotten is that they're a sailor first and, and it gets real very quickly. And so when I talk about this, this history segment, and it's very recent history, and we're going to compare that to what I talked about last episode as well, is that it is very real. And when you do get out there that anybody could cook and just cook, right, as a profession. And if they wanted to just do that, they would do it as a civilian. Uh, I'm a United States sailor first. I'm a chief first. I'm a submariner. Uh, all those things before I get to being a culinary specialist. So there's a lot of responsibilities that come along with that. Uh, and that one of, that's what we're going to talk about. And it's going to directly relate to the history segment. And the other reason I want to I want to bring up that it's recent history is, is similar to what I just talked about, is that this is very real. Uh, this happens... To in today's Navy, not just the Navy of 1923 that I talked about when I was talking about Petty Officer Brialt in the last episode. This is something that happens to us today, uh, and it's very real out there in the fleet. And what I want to talk about today is Master at Arms Second Class, uh, Mark Anthony Mayo. And if anybody kind of recognizes that name, it's because in, in 20, on 24 March 2014, uh, he was killed on board the USS Mahan, uh, standing chief of the guard. Uh, and basically what happened was 
a civilian got on onto Norfolk Naval Station somehow and uh, got onto the pier and forced his way onto the Mahan and basically bum rushed the petty officer to the deck, disarmed her, uh, and uh, upon realizing this, um, petty officer Mayo uh, got on board the ship and when realizing that the the watchstander was was disarmed, positioned himself between. Uh, the attacker and the watchstander, who was now helpless, and ended up taking uh, taking gunfire and and lost his life in in doing so. But he saved the watchstander. He did exactly what he was supposed to do as chief of the guard uh, in fulfilling his responsibilities. And, and one of the things before I read his Navy and Marine Corps Medal citation, I want to point out, just like with Petty Officer Bialt, MA2 Mayo was 24 years old and he had six years in the Navy as a second class petty officer, which is the absolute definition of a junior level leader. He was in a position as chief of the guard where he was responsible for the security of all the units on that pier. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do, exactly how he was supposed to do it, uh, went above and beyond the call and uh, ended up sacrificing his life to get the job done. And, And I mean, you can't ask for a better example of and a recent example of a sailor out there in the fleet doing their job on a daily basis. I mean, this could have been, you know, one of your friends out there that you know now, uh, and an event like this happens, and then they're put in that position, and how they deal with it is very indicative of their character. And uh, I, the the MAT Mayo story is one I use a lot as a training tool to make students understand the gravity of what they're getting themselves into. Uh, so now I'm going to read his his award citation. He he was posthumously awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, which is the highest award that uh, can be uh, bestowed upon someone for actions of heroism that are not combat related. Uh, and so it's essentially a non wartime Medal of Honor. Uh, so I'm going to read now. I'm going to read the citation for heroism while serving at Naval Station Norfolk Security Detachment, Norfolk, Virginia, on 24 March 2014. While performing his duties as Chief of the Guard, Petty Officer Mayo was alerted to a suspicious individual walking towards the USS Mahan, DDG-72, on Pier 1, Naval Station Norfolk. Petty Officer Mayo pursued the individual up the brow of the ship, while both he and the quarterdeck watchstanders directed the individual to stop and provide identification. Failing to comply, the individual approached the quarterdeck, attacked, and disarmed the Petty Officer of the Watch. After boarding the ship, Petty Officer Mayo realized that the Petty Officer of the Watch no longer had control over weapon. With complete and total disregard for his own personal safety, Petty Officer Mayo immediately placed himself between the Petty Officer of the Watch and the assailant. While fearlessly engaging the assailant and shielding the Petty Officer of the Watch, Petty Officer Mayo was fatally wounded. His exceptionally brave actions saved the lives of four watchstanders and ensured the safety of the entire crew of the USS Mahan. By his courageous and prompt actions in the face of great personal risk, Petty Officer Mayo prevented the loss of lives, thereby reflecting great credit upon himself and upholding the highest traditions of United States Naval Service. Again, I just, I mean, it gives me chills every time I I bring the guy up, every time I get to talk to him. Uh, It's a perfect example. It's something that I really encourage you to do a little bit of your own research on and, and understand what he did and the story and the actions that happened that day and just kind of uh you can use that I, and I'm, we're going to talk about leadership uh utilizing stories and how powerful that is in, a, in another episode but what i i really want to 
point out is that this story can really bridge a gap between when you're just standing there talking because I can tell a story, a dusty old story about a petty officer that, that, you know, was awarded the medal of honor for actions in 1923. And, and some people may be like, eh, well, that was so long ago, you know, like, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's an example of a junior level leader, but in almost a hundred years ago. And so this, this is something that, I mean, this was two years ago. I still remember hearing about it. I still, I was stationed, you know, 70, 70, 80 miles away when this happened. And, and it's, and it, it's an example that the students that we have that, I mean, some of them had orders to Norfolk Naval Station when this, this was happening and that's how real it gets. And it can, it can very much drive home the importance of, uh, the responsibilities they have, as a United States sailor, uh, what their responsibilities are when they get out to the fleet. And then what we're talking about now, uh, the importance of junior level leadership when you're put in those positions, how just important that inherent responsibility is and to take it seriously and to do everything you can to uh, take take care of the people you're charged with because he literally gave his life to make sure the people he was charged with leading and taking care of uh, that they were safe and that the duties were executed the way they were intended. So uh, with that, that's the history segment for today. We're going to move on and we're going to tackle this topic of junior level leadership. Like we've talked about previously, lots of questions have come in about you know, junior sailors being thrust into this position and not really knowing how to deal with it um, without in, in, in the absence of any kind of formal training or preparation, um, they're identified by based on their potential and their the product they've put out as a worker. They're identified as that, you know, seaman schmuckatelli is a go-getter. They're turning out a great product. They're they're doing great things. Their uniform squared away. They're always on time. They're they're asking for more responsibility. And then they get it, but they get it in a form of a leadership position at a junior level. And there's no training that goes into that. It's it's many times they're unprepared. Um, and, and I say no training. And I, I don't want to take anything away from the supervisors and leaders out there that might be rolling their eyes. I know everybody you know, in some way, shape or form that you doing everything they can to prepare the leaders, but we're spread very thin. Uh, and, and in the absence of any kind of formal leadership training, there is only so much time in the day where they can get that kind of stuff done. So we're going to talk about how, uh, how challenging junior level leadership is. And again, that, that especially when it is not even separated by rank, it's only separated by position. Uh, so junior level leaders need to understand what they can do at their level how to do it and why they're doing it in order to effectively lead the subordinates that they're, they now find themselves in charge of. Uh, so we're going to talk about what you can do to be a successful junior level leader. And also, uh, like as we discussed previously, with the lack of preparation, they're thrown in the fire and you got to kind of figure it out unless you're blessed with an uncommonly engaged senior leader that is that finds the time somehow to devote to every single junior sailor, uh, which is almost impossible unless they've cloned themselves or unless you're blessed to have multiple just outstanding chiefs or a tremendous mid-level leader that that has been developed, uh, which they're out there and, and thank God they are uh, for the people that are, are lucky enough to have them. But we're going to kind of talk about uh, when you when you don't aren't that lucky uh, when that when the good leader that you may have can only spread themselves so thin, or you you don't have that good leader in the absence of that, what you can do on your own to prepare yourself and, and be an effective junior level leader. So the first thing I want to talk about is is being a thinker and not just a doer. Uh, so so the normally 
when you're thrust into this position, you're overwhelmed by the just volume of things that either need to be fixed or the volume of responsibilities that you think you have to track all by yourself or the lack of the level of knowledge that you don't have or the things that you don't know that you need to learn, you need to figure out, you need to do research on, you need to experience to learn how to do whatever the case may be. So focus on what you can do, all right? Look around and don't fall into the trap of, of feeling helpless, uh, be it lacking self-confidence or because your leaders don't empower you, focus on the difference that you can make. Like what can you do to be an effective junior level leader? Uh, you may not have all the answers and you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna face plant. That's gonna happen, but that's that's called learning, okay? You're gonna learn through those experiences. You're going to figure it out by screwing it up. And, it ha and I still do that today. I'm a 15 year chief in charge of an entire schoolhouse. My door says senior enlisted leader on it. And I fall on my face a couple times a week where I got to scrape myself off the floor, pull all my chiefs into a, into an office, close the door and be like, how, you know, how do we fix this? Uh, it ha it still happens. It's, it's That's how you learn. But don't fall into a trap of looking around, identifying the 10 million things that aren't done or that are broken or, you know, that, oh, my gosh, I need to do all these things myself because my subordinates aren't helping me and I you know you get into you fall into the trap of micromanagement or trying to do it all yourself uh, while they stand around and watch focus on what you can do to be an effective junior level leader what can you accomplish now and identify those things first be be positive about it like we kind of made that crack previously about you know positivity is not just for warning people it's for leaders you need to talk yourself into the fact that you can do this there are effective positive changes that you can make right now uh, being as inexperienced and lost and confused as you might feel there are positive things that you can do today uh, there are positive things you can do with some work over the span of the next week the next month and the next year uh, so start listing those things now like what can you knock out and and some of this might not be what you what you don't know how to do but what you're not permitted to do by the leadership that you do have by the mid-level and senior level leaders that you do have they may not allow you to make certain changes like we talked about the last episode there's only so much control you have but just don't fall into the trap of helplessness focus on what you can accomplish and then start accomplishing it one task at a time doesn't all need to get done today it's not going to get done today prioritize it what's the closest alligator to the boat deal with that one then move on to the next one and the next one and the next one and then pretty soon you're going to look around and there's going to be a whole heck of a lot done and you're going to be in a much better place than when you started so then the next thing I want to talk about, and we and we talked about this yesterday, so I'm not going to beat it up too much, but analyze the process. So like we talked about yesterday, there's a process in place. Um, there's a way of doing things that you inherited from whoever you just relieved. So analyze the process. Take a look at what's there. Uh, you may not need to reinvent the wheel every single time. You may need to just figure out how the process works. Uh, do your own research. Ask questions. Um, uh, and ask questions of the people that have been on that watch or in that department or in that work center or whatever talk to them talk rely on the experience that that now answers to you it not just makes that it and it doesn't just make them feel valued uh and, and part of the operation but that all that experience is in the room staring at you like okay lead us but there's a lot of knowledge in that room that can help you lead them, uh, that can help you successfully prepare them to do what they have to do and execute the mission. So don't discount that. Understand that, uh, e and even the ones that may not seem the most motivated or the ones that 
may not seem engaged or may have even been the problem children before. Why are they those people? Ask yourself that question. Why were they not engaged with the previous leader? Why were they not motivated by the previous leader? Why why did they not, you know, contribute in the way that you think they should? You know, maybe they didn't feel valued. Maybe they weren't properly motivated. Maybe they weren't allowed to be engaged in the process. So so figure those things out, analyze the process, figure out what you've got in front of you uh, and how you're going to tackle these tasks. So analyze it and, and you look around and what can you make better now? Uh, there's the things you have control over, like we talked about yesterday, and there's things that you don't, but you can always influence things for the better, uh, no matter how small the scope of your responsibility is. So do that. So then identify the climate. Uh, I know you've heard the term command climate at some point. And if you haven't, we're going to talk about it a little bit. But like, what is the command climate? And, and then understanding what the climate is, what's the climate of your scope or responsibility of your work center? So when we talk about climate, we talk about it's kind of the uh, kind of just like the feeling or the tone when you walk in. Um, do, are people happy to come to work? Are people just dreading coming to work and they can't wait to leave? Do they do they have faith in the chain of command or do they not? Do they have faith in their in the leadership of their direct supervisor? Which you know the way we're presenting this topic is you. Uh, do they have faith in you or do they think it's a joke because of the leader that they had previous to you? So what identify kind of what that climate is, figure out what it is, and then. If you're lucky enough to stumble into an outstanding one, hey, great. But when you are in the situation you're in now, like what can you do to make it better? Look around and figure out the little things um, that you can do to influence the climate of your workplace. Look at what you can do uh, significantly through process improvement, through any changes that you can make via what you have control over and start to influence that climate. Uh, It could be fixing an obviously broken process. It could be... Uh, instead of being a dictator, sitting everyone down and getting feedback and input from them, uh, developing buy-in is one of the one of the biggest things that can get them motivated to be part of the process. If they feel part of the team and they feel like they have some kind of ownership in the process, they're going to respond a lot more to to your leadership because they're going to feel like you're all part of a team. You're all in the trenches together and you're all knocking out the task together. Uh, and it's kind of like the the description people get give of leadership where when they talk about you know when a, when a leader does it right uh they're gonna kind of say to themselves we did this because we wanted to or we did this by ourselves you know no one led us here the leader wasn't responsible for it they're gonna they're gonna look around and be like we did this ourselves and we did it because we wanted to uh, and so when you're doing it right you're gonna get people when they have buy-in they're doing it because they want to they're doing it because it, it makes them feel good it gives them job satisfaction it feels makes them feel like they did something today uh, and everybody comes to work with that in mind everybody comes in wanting to be part of the team wanting to contribute to the process however they can it's just sometimes there's some repair work to do sometimes you get into the position where uh, a leader or a poor climate from leadership or, or a poor command climate or whatever the case may be they weren't valued and it might not have been malicious when we say these things don't always think to yourself bad leader don't always think to yourself that some bad leader wrecked this and now i have to fix it um it could have been like we talked about an inexperienced leader could have been a leader that just didn't identify the motivations of the people that are they were charged with leading. And so what is that? What is a motivator? So so what motivates them? And we talked a little bit about it previously. You know, everybody's motivated by liberty. You know, most junior sailors, primary motivation is liberty. But 
it could be very different. You could have, uh, you know, a 32 year old sailor that came in the Navy and what's their motivation? Well, if they're married and they have kids and stuff like that, it's time with family or it's furthering their career so they can take care of that family or it's pursuing an education so they can get a commission or, or whatever, whatever their motivation is. You got to identify those things and everyone's motivated differently, not just based on the tangible result they want at the end, such as, you know, advancement or more liberty or whatever, whatever it is that motivates them. But also there are different leadership uh, styles and, and applications of those styles that are going to motivate somebody. And, and a for example is uh, when I first took over as the LPO on my last submarine and it's, I, I made chief and stayed the chief there, which was kind of an odd dynamic, but we'll leave that for another time. But when I first took over as the LPO, I kind of relied on previous experience and, and I, I set my bar high. I had high standards and, and I was going to hold them accountable. And the way I did that was a lot of yelling. Uh, it was a lot of, I told you where my bar was and you're not meeting it. So I lit them up and that doesn't work for everybody. And, and what I started to realize was they were all shutting down. I, I was literally talking to a room full of sailors with glazed over looks on their faces and they were no longer receiving anything that I was providing. And so when you're, when you have a leadership style, a, it can't be one blanket leadership style because like we've been saying, everyone's motivated differently. But it's it's really in how you apply that style. So you can have a, your own style and then adapt it to how everyone is motivated. And so when you apply it, if you understand that you have one sailor that's an internally motivated sailor, doesn't need a lot of encouraging, they're going to do, they're going to perform at a certain level themselves. They just need developing and they just need a little bit of guidance here or there, answer questions, be available to them. Uh, kind of a fire and forget type of asset because they're internally motivated. Uh, and that that's kind of how I am, and, which is why I struggled with this a little bit because I didn't understand that they some other people that are motivated uh, differently need more attention from their leader than an internally motivated sailor does. So then I've, I had a, a, a second class on my last submarine that he was motivated by negative reinforcement, which I had never encountered before. And I didn't realize it and, and until this one day. I kind of went in the galley and and realized realize the only time he responded to me was when I started raising my voice or I would start to get a little aggressive is when he would shut his mouth, start to listen, and then he would respond with increased performance. So some people, it takes kind of that kick in the pants to get moving. Um, other people, I could very calmly explain to them, Seaman Timmy, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to do it. This is when I need it done by. Give them all the parameters for, for successful completion of that task. And I would never have to explain it to them again. They would go get it done exactly how I described it to them. They would come back and let me know when it was done. I'd go QA it. Good to go. Uh, and, and then other sailors, you know, I, they needed positive reinforcement, which is another one that I struggle with because I, I hold that back until you've earned it. And that's kind of, I was pretty rigid about that. But if I want to get the optimal performance that I can possibly get from each very different card that I'm dealt, I need to understand what motivates them. I need to leverage that so that I can, I can exploit it. I, and that sounds kind of like a negative word, but it's, it's really not. I want to exploit their motivator so that I can get optimal performance out of them because that just doesn't that doesn't just benefit me and mission accomplishment. It benefits them. It benefits their development. They're going to contribute at the highest level they possibly can. They're going to 
uh, give everything they can to the mission and that's going to benefit them. That's going to benefit their careers and their evaluations and their sense of job satisfaction. And at the end of the day, that's really the most important thing, uh, regardless of if you're advancing or your pay grade or anything like that. I mean, those can contribute to that job satisfaction. But at the end of the day, feeling like you contributed to the mission, you are part of the team and it's it's success. That's why we that's why we come to work every day uh, because we want to feel that. I mean, everyone that's drawn to service has that type of mentality where they want to be part of it. They want to be part of, of successful mission accomplishment. And so you've got to find the way to motivate them to get there. And as they do that, they will respond to you more and more. It becomes easier with practice. So I want to transition now to the, another main point of being proactive. Uh, a lot of people fall into this reactive mode where they address the fire when it, when it, when it's a fire, you know, they, they address, they put out, run around putting out fires and don't address the issue that's causing the fire. So be a proactive leader, um, get out, go out of your way to try to get ahead of things and, and identify all these issues that we've been talking about uh, and aggressively attack them. And so one of the things that you need to aggressively attack is your own leadership development. So when we talk about you being put in these positions and being unprepared for them, uh, actively, proactively pursue your own development and do that by being the squeaky wheel. So if you've ever heard the saying, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, if you have a good leader, uh, it doesn't mean he or she will be focused on your leadership development unless you give them a reason to, all right? They're extremely busy people. And because there's no formal leadership training in place for you to be trained and for you to be developed, that falls on their plate, just like all the things they need to do for mission accomplishment, just like all the paperwork they're, they're bogged down with, just like the hundred other things. I mean, there's a myriad of tasks that your chief has on their plate that you have no idea is on their plate. Uh, there, I mean, there is so much stuff that we do to take care of the division, to make sure the mission's taken care of, to prepare for inspections, to do, to get the ship underway, to do all these things. Uh, and you'll never know about most of them. And so just understand that, uh, that they they will not always have time to go out of their own way uh, and come to you. So be the squeaky wheel. Ask questions. Um, ask for career development boards. Ask for uh, any kind of experience that you can get into that'll get you out of your comfort zone. Get you more experience in different different areas of your rate. Uh, shadow different leaders. And it doesn't always have to be your direct leader. I mean, if you can find another chief on the ship that can can help develop you, go find that mentor. Go find somebody who whose bar is higher than yours and be the squeaky wheel. Ask them those questions. Do whatever you can do to get that kind of attention from a strong leader. Um, and then volunteer. And I, when I say this, I'm not talking about comrades. I'm not talking about you know spending your weekends picking up trash. I mean, you do those things. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of volunteerism in general and community involvement. But what I'm talking about is inside every organization, there's work that's just not getting done. All right, for example, I always joke when you know, a task comes to me and it's it's one of those things that, you know, let's just say it's not quite the highest priority. I'm like, yeah, I'll put that right at the bottom of my life's to-do list. You know, I call it my life's to-do list. It's all those it's all those tasks that I would really like to get done, but pesky mission accomplishment gets in the way. So there, there's all these other things that are more important uh, because at, at the end of the day, like we've talked about previously, I'm one person. And so I have to prioritize things. And sometimes 
you know, each day there's those things on my life's to-do list that just kind of fall off the list each day because I have to prioritize more important tasks to make sure the mission gets done and my sailors are taken care of. So all those projects that would be amazing if I had three or more of myself to do them are things that as a junior level leader, you could potentially volunteer yourself to do. And when you do that, uh, you can open yourself up for those opportunities to spend time with that leader so that they can explain to you what the task is, how I needed to get it done, and you're learning. It, it, just look for these opportunities to learn. A lot of them are low-hanging fruit. So find those and attack those. There are so many of them, and there's a lot of work throughout each organization that just aren't getting done. And it could be something silly like organizing records and color coding some stuff or labeling some stuff. It could be uh, just setting up like a daily planner. It could be, um, I, I don't know, like reorganizing an, a, a storage space or an office space. Uh, just, just little things um, that we've always wanted to get knocked out, but uh, the, the, that leader didn't have time to do. Uh, and you could do those things. So, so look for those opportunities to volunteer and you create value in yourself for that senior leader. Uh, so it benefits you directly. That benefits the organization uh, and it develops you. It develops you. Look for those opportunities to develop and to learn. And, and insight and experience are the best ways to do those things. So if you can learn through insight by reading or studying or listening to me ramble on on this podcast, do that. But then experience, I mean, we always say there's no substitute for it and there really isn't. Um, you can read stuff in a book all day long, but if you don't go out there and get your hands dirty and, and go actually execute the task, it's just some concept that you picked up off a page. So, so look at for every opportunity to seize to seize those uh, as they come up and then have a questioning attitude this is a big one uh, respect respectfully and, and that's key respectfully challenge the status quo ask why uh, it's okay to ask why uh, do it tactfully understand that you might get some pushback but uh, some and like we talked about yesterday sometimes you may or not yesterday last episode sometimes you may get uh, a really great answer for why we're doing something in a way you don't understand because you don't have that perspective. And other times, you may open up the door to present your bright idea. Um, sometimes when you challenge that status quo, you're going to get the answer of, well, that's eh, just the way we've always done it. Uh, well, why? You know, why are we doing it this way if there's a better way to do it? Uh, and a lot of times, like the, what we just talked about with the volunteer thing, is nobody has taken that task on. Uh, nobody has taken the time where I'm sitting here and I'm saying, man, it'd be really nice if I had a better way of doing whatever, you know, this process. And you're the one executing the process in its current state right now, sitting there to yourself. If you're affected by it on a daily basis because you're the one on the deck plate doing it and you've already identified a better way of doing it, if you bring that up nine times out of 10, if it makes sense and we're following all the rules and it's a more efficient process, I mean, that that makes my heart melt when, when someone comes to me with a problem I've identified and I haven't had time to solve myself and you come to me, you've identified the problem and you bring me a really great solution that I haven't even thought of and you're ready to execute it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, that's like a leader's dream. I, 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 I literally daydream about that happening to me. Uh, so that is something that you'll, you'll be surprised at how often you know, the leader that you present that concept to is just going to smile and just be like, you know, CS3 or, or whoever thank you, make it happen. And then you have ownership in your process. Um, hopefully you've gotten feedback from your charges. So now they have buy-in in the process because now we're doing it our way, but it's also 
the Navy way now or the, the units way or the commands way because you you proposed that bright idea and you made that happen. Uh, so have a questioning attitude, question that status quo uh, and, and see what you can do to improve on all these processes and ask questions of supervisors, of peers, of subordinates, uh, of people doing it the right way and the wrong way. Even when you're paralyzed by the inaction of your organization, there are always ways to learn and grow. You'll gain the trust of your coworkers instead of spurning them by coming in and immediately telling them what they're doing wrong and how they can fix it. So when you're put in charge of, of this and you look around and, and you, you see the thing, all the things that are wrong, don't immediately start questioning everyone like why are you doing it this way this is stupid right talk to them about it ask questions why are you doing it this way if it's the right way why are you asking you know why are you doing it this way if it's the wrong way um and then if your organization just is committed to doing it a silly way that doesn't make sense don't be paralyzed by their inaction don't be paralyzed by them telling you no you're going to do it our way or you know or the highway kind of thing um, like we talked about uh, in the last episode, there's always something you're going to have some level of control with if they put you in a, in a junior level leadership position or even a, a, as a worker beyond the deck plate. Uh, so identify those things and do what you can do to positively affect the organization. Control what you can control. Uh, so when you challenge the status quo, you'll inevitably at some point get told to shut up and color, right? Uh, and this is kind of ties into what we talked about last time as well. Change is, is hard and it's uncomfortable. Uh, so being a catalyst for change is even more difficult. So understand that you can't change everything in one day and, and you can't change it and you can't fix it either. So when you look around and, and they're just the basics and we're not even talking about changing a process. We're not talking about you you make you reinventing the wheel or making anything better or coming up with a good idea. We're just talking about someone hands you a checklist that you're responsible for as a watch uh, supervisor and you are like, oh my goodness, like none of this has been getting done. Uh, we're so behind on, on records and admin and inventory and whatever. Uh, you're not going to be able to fix every single thing in one day. So again, prioritize it, start checking things off the list one by one. And eventually you're going to find yourself in, in an operation that's just humming right along. All right. So don't focus on what you can't control. Control what you can control, and as you advance and are put in leadership positions with a broader impact, you'll control more, and then you'll control a little more, and then you'll control a little more, and then eventually you'll look around, and you're going to have the broad impact that you desire right now. So don't get lost is something that I, I feel like I want to hit hard right here, and we'll probably get into this much deeper in another episode, but don't fall into the trap of what everyone else is doing. So now you're in this leadership position. You could be in a watch section that, so let's say you're in a really high functioning watch section. You've, you've turned and burned. You've put a ton of yourself and invested a ton of yourself into the development of these people, motivating them, getting them where they needed to be, improving processes, so on and so forth. And now your watch section is this high performing, uh, excellent, just, I mean, they're doing everything right and just clicking on all cylinders. And you look at the other watch section and they're a hot mess. They are just a soup sandwich that are not fulfilling their responsibilities, that are not doing what they're supposed to do. And every time you turn over with them, your workstation's dirty and nothing's prepared and they're, you know, they're not doing anything they're supposed to be doing. And you spend the first hour of your day fixing it and getting it everything squared away so that you can then start your day, but you had to do a rework for them or whatever the case may be. Don't get lost in that. Do not focus on what everyone else is doing. Focus on your mission. Focus on what you're responsible for. Don't 
get into that blame game of, well, we couldn't do this because the other watch section failed to do this, that, and the other thing. Or if you're looking at it from the flip side where you think you're the highest functioning, high performing watch section, and you may be, but someone else is getting recognized for it or someone else is getting recognized, but you just feel that you should, even though they may deserve it. You just feel like, God, we've been doing so much for so long. We don't ever get any credit for it. This is crap. It's unfair. Boo hoo. Poor me. Don't get lost. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't do it. Who cares what they're doing? Honestly, who cares? Control what you can control. Do not get lost focusing on what everyone else is doing. All right. All you need to worry about is you and what you're responsible for, your charges. Okay. You have people looking at you going, what, what's next? What do I need to do next? Uh, where are we going? And if you get caught up in a blame game, pointing fingers, making excuses, it's everyone else's fault, and all this other crap. It, you know, you're going to lose credibility as a leader. You're going to lose their respect and they're not going to follow you anymore. They're not going to buy into a leader that's got an excuse for everything. All right. There is no excuse. You're it. You're, you're the leader. All right. Don't, don't ever fall into the trap of, you know, or, or you're, you're not buying into what the command vision is. So let's say the mid-level leader or the senior leader gives you guidance from the, you know, and it's trickled down to them from the commanding officer. The theory here is that you'll never know that it trickled down to the command from the commanding officer. You'll never know that the CMC directed your chief to do something, and he probably he or she probably hates it. But you're never going to know that because the conversations had in the chief's mess. There's a reason for doing it. They come out all on the same page, uh, and then they come to you and they're they deliver the message. They just say, "Hey, this is what we're doing." Okay, uh, you're you should not be. And then at your level, you shouldn't be hearing. And then you shouldn't be doing this either where you're like, oh, well, you know, chief said we have to do this stupid crap. So that's the only reason we're doing it. So let's just go do it. Right. No, stop it. That's the same thing. Do not go down that that road. Uh, you're the leader. You're in the leadership position. This is what we have to do, uh, whether or not we like it, whether or not you think it makes sense. It is what it is. All right. That's that's what we have to do. That's the mission. That's the task. That's the, the thing we need to accomplish. Uh, so own it. You're the leader. You go to your charges and you say, this is what we need to do. And they say, why? And then if you can explain it and it's appropriate to do so, great. Uh, if you can't, it's just, it is what it is. We need to knock this out. Let's go do it. Don't point fingers. Don't blame people. Don't take responsibility for your position as a leader or or don't be the leader. Like get out of that position. If, if that's not something you're capable of doing, you're, then, you sh- then you seriously need to question uh, where you're at. Uh, and why you're doing it because it's something that it's you know the buck stops here theory right it's one of my one of my favorite jimmy carter type quotes is he had a he had this little uh placard on his desk in the oval office and it said the buck stops here uh and there's nowhere else for it to go because he's it he's the leader he's the boss uh, so there's nowhere else to pass that responsibility on to. It's yours. You're the leader. So make sure you're owning that and you're not getting lost in you know, what everyone else is doing because who cares, all right? It doesn't matter. Uh, so don't just phone it in. Don't fall into that trap. Take responsibility and be the leader that you want to be. All right, so uh, it's summary time. So we talked about uh, being a thinker and not just a doer, all right? Don't just get wrapped up in putting checks in boxes and then getting off the ship or getting out of the building and going home. All right. Be a thinker. Uh, any, anybody can do things the easy way. Be better than that. Uh, think about it. 
invest in it, figure out what you can do to make it better uh, and what you can do to improve and develop yourself and do those things. Uh, be proactive, right? Squeaky wheel. We talked about that. Squeaky wheel gets the grease. So squeak, all right? Squeak. Do what you got to do to get the attention from the leaders that are going to pour into you and develop you and make you better. Uh, and volunteer to do extra. Uh, that experience is invaluable. Being in positions you've never been in before and being uncomfortable in them you're growing when you feel like feel that way because you're you're doing something you've never done. You're gaining experience that's going to be invaluable to you later in your leadership journey. Uh, and have a questioning attitude. Question things uh, respectfully and tactfully, or even if it's just in your mind, just question things. Why do we do it this way? How can we do it better? Or why do we do it this way? Just so that you can better understand it. Just question everything. Ask those questions. Find out where the answer is and go get it. And then control what you can control, all right? And don't get lost, all right? I'm not, that, we've talked at length on the previous episode about controlling what you can control, but then don't get lost. You can't control what everyone else is doing. So don't worry about what everyone else is doing because it doesn't matter. Uh, when, you're, when you're looking around and you're worried about like what eval or award someone else is getting, you should be worried about why you're not getting it. What can you do to better yourself? What can you do to be recognized for the outstanding sailor that you are? Don't worry about why they're getting recognized recognized because they probably deserve it. That's probably why they're getting recognized for it. So don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Worry about you. Worry about what you're responsible for. Worry about your charges, developing yourself as a leader and a sailor, developing them as future leaders and sailors, right? Uh, and invest in that um, because that's what's important, okay? Uh, so there is an impact to be made, a significant one, albeit a small on a small scale. Uh, so the lack of leadership training that we talk about in the development at your level leaves an untold amount of untapped potential. Uh, imagine the possibilities if an organization has strong leadership from bottom to top. Imagine. And that starts with you. You're at the bottom right now, but you're being put in leadership positions. And if you take the time to seek these things out and actively develop yourself, imagine the possibility. There is so much untapped potential at your level for leadership and the impact that can be made on the junior sailors that are starving, just starving for quality leadership. And then believe in it. Believe in that you you are significant at the level you're at, whether you're a worker bee or you're a junior level leader. Believe that you are important and don't ever allow anybody to take that away from you. If you're in this position now as a junior level leader, you're a leader, period. Uh, don't ever let anybody tell you any different and don't sell the importance of that short just because for now it is on a small scale because this is where you make your mistakes. This is where you get your battle scars. This is where you know you develop and you learn lessons by making mistakes so that when you are in a mid-level or senior level leadership position with the broader impact that you want right now, that you're ready for it. So that when you're in that position, you don't make the same mistakes I did and the same mistakes of the people that are crusty and old and retired that came before me. Uh, so this is where you get to take risks and experiment with your leadership style and and figure things out and tinker so that when you get to where I am you're not making the same mistakes that I am right now uh, your and your charges and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this like three times your charges are absolutely entitled entitled to the best possible leader that you're capable of providing they're entitled and I say that on purpose and I'll say it over and over and over again the people that you are leading are entitled Entitled to the best possible leader that you can be. Think about that. Let that sink in. Really, really flip that over in your mind and analyze it. They are. 
They're entitled to it. So be that person. Make it happen. Do whatever you have to do to be the best possible leader that you can be. And do I think you're going to be the best leader ever at the, at the level you're at? No. But the potential that you have for leadership right now, develop it to the as far as you possibly can because they're entitled to it. They absolutely are. And when you're in the subordinate role, you feel the same way and you're correct. Because I, And I tell this to the chiefs that I developed during the CPO 365 phase two season. I say it every year. Your sailors are absolutely entitled to the best chief petty officer you can be, period. And that's not optional. That's not something that you get to skirt that responsibility. That's not something that you get to uh, make excuses about. All right. Uh, They're entitled to it. So be that. Do whatever you can do to be the best possible sailor and leader that you can possibly be. And I'm going to stop here because I'll just keep repeating myself. Like I always say, I'll just keep rambling on and on and on. And and I think this is one of my longer episodes thus far. Uh, So next time, uh, what we're going to be talking about is uh, let me get my paper here. Uh, what we're going to be talking about next time is motivating people. So we talked a little bit about motivators this time around and how everybody's motivated differently. So what I want to go into in more detail is the different types of motivation uh, or, or, or motivators for people and how you exploit them, how you leverage them to motivate sailors to perform, uh, to, to do the things you need them to do. And I, we've talked about it in the past where you get those people that are underperforming or that aren't, don't have the buy-in. And we touched on it during this episode. We're going to dive deeper into how you motivate those people. Be all, If they're a high-functioning, high-performing person, how do you continue to motivate them? If there's somebody that lacks buy-in, how do you get them to buy in? If there's somebody that has completely shut it down, taken their ball and gone home, how do we fix that? Um, so we're going to talk about motivation specifically, how you can motivate people to perform at a higher level so that you can put together a, a great team of, of junior sailors that are that are just killing it, uh, doing everything we can do to accomplish the mission, and then having fun doing it. Uh, it should be rewarding. Like we talked about before, the job satisfaction, this thing should be rewarding. So what do we got to do to motivate people to get to that place? Uh, and with that, I think I've uh, rambled in your ear quite long enough. So uh, I really genuinely hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I know it was a lot today. So uh, if you have questions, please don't be shy about hitting us up and letting us know. And we can address them in the next episode as well. But with that, thanks for listening. Don't give up the ship. <laughs> <laughs>